0: special, and that is we're going to set aside a young man, I use that term loosely, a young man specifically in recognition of his calling to ministry. Now, what I want to say about this before we ever get into Psalm 23 and talk about how God calls us, how he sets us aside, is that this takes a long time to do appropriately. I was in ministry from the time I was... 24 years old, I was 24 and I was serving as a youth pastor, went back to school, did some more, went to seminary, did some more, worked at another church for about a year and a half, worked at another church for about four years, worked at another church for about four more years, went to a church that God called me to, intern, senior ministry, and then after approximately 10 years of ministry and some seven years of studying, a group of people gathered together and said, Lee, we need to be able to call you pastor. <laughs> we need to set you aside. You need to be ordained. And I was like, oh, ordained ordination. It just seems so old, <laughs> old school. Just, I, I, I'm not sure I even agree with it. I, and, they, and they began to lay out ordination is a recognition, not just of you, Lee, but of your peers, of your elders of those who God has chosen in special ways to serve and to minister and to understand. It's those people saying to you, you have been called, you have been affirmed by God. And Lee, when you hit some really difficult times, it's going to hit you in the next few years ahead. How did they know that? I was. They said, you're going to find yourself going, okay, Lord, you set me aside, you ordained me, I'm going to hang in there. And I'm going to go through these Hard, difficult valleys of death. I'm going to say, okay, well, if that's what you call me to do, I want to continue to do that. So today what we're doing is we are recognizing that Eric, after some ten years, like myself, of ministry and study and interaction and tears and question, that he's come to the place where the congregation needs to say, hey, you have been called by God. You have been set aside by him specifically to shepherd his people. And we want to be able to call you pastor, not just Eric, as much as we like your name, Eric. We want to honor the calling that God has given you. So that's what we're going to do today. Now, prior to this, some of you are aware of that, we had what's called an ordination council. I remember going to my ordination council. Mine was at a seminary, and I had a series of teachers, professors, pastors. And it was incredibly difficult because I had to stand up there and share what I believed, why I believed it, how I thought they were wrong, and I was right because some of them disagreed with me. And how all that came together, and I was shaking in my boots, my shoes in that case. And it was an amazing time in which God helped me to understand that he had called me and gifted me and provided me with what needed to be provided, that I may be able to be his shepherd to his people. And I was affirmed by those men and some women and rejoiced in that, and God in a church setting, as we do today, uh, set me aside to this process we call ordination. All right? That counsel is very difficult, folks. It's not an easy thing to do, to defend what you believe and how you believe it, have it down in writing, and then interact back and forth, and try to get a handle on what it is God has said to you and how it's supposed to be used and proclaimed. So today, when we talk about this question, this issue of, of ordination, we give Eric a chance to share with us a little bit. I want you to listen carefully uh, to what he has to say. And then at the end of the service today, I'm going to ask you all uh, to honor him and to affirm him as you stand up and as you basically give a big amen. We'll do something along that end. okay? so that'll be your chance at the very end. You're going to hear testimonies from people who were on the uh, council, that ordination council. And you'll hear some testimonies from people that I've asked simply to share because they've known him for so long. So you'll enjoy it. It's going to be a powerful service. I look forward to what God has to say. Let's ask him for his blessing right now, shall we? Father, you've called us together today to do something special. Not just to talk about you being our shepherd, but to declare a specific way in which you've chosen to be our shepherd. You have set aside someone who will be keyly involved in changing our lives, who will help us to interact with you, to understand you, to comprehend how to walk with you. And we thank you for that. But we ask that you'll guide us through this service, that your Holy Spirit might do what he does in a spectacular way and change and transform us even as we listen and learn from you. Speak, Holy Spirit, today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Psalm 23. And it just seemed appropriate enough that this particular verse, which is verse 2, talks about the calling that God gives, that God desires for each one of us to hear, and that we're to respond to. So we begin the verse with Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my what? I shall not. He makes me lie down. In green pastures, isn't that nice? I like that. Sounds better than it actually is in the in the Hebrew, but that's okay. You know, he makes me lie down in green pastures, and then he, what does he do after that? He leads me beside still or quiet waters. He restores my soul. That's all we're going to talk about today. Was that second verse? But coming toward the end, to remind ourselves of that first verse, where he says, "The Lord is my Shepherd. It's a very personal psalm. This is a psalm of trust. It's a psalm of declaration concerning God's interaction with David. How he had led his life in difficult times and in easy times. How he had shown up in every situation and tried desperately to get David to respond to him, and how David sometimes did and sometimes did not. God provides for us personally because that's who he is and that's what he is able to do. That's why this term Yahweh, which is the term used when we translate the Lord, was first given to Moses and it was translated, I am who I am or I will be what I will be. It's a declaration that God is outside of us, that he's so incredibly powerful and yet so incredibly personal That while we interact with him, we will not understand exactly what he is doing or how he is doing it. But we can experience who he is and what he is. It was a name that was so holy that the Hebrew people literally would not use that name except once a year. And it would only be used by the high priest. And only in a special place called the Holy of Holies in the temple. Yahweh. But for us, this personal declaration that I think David understood and was trying to push onto his people is one that we encounter regularly and constantly and consistently. And that's why this psalm is so powerful in our lives and so personal. The Lord is my shepherd. get that kind of he and me stuff going on here throughout the whole thing. It's a wonderful, wonderful affirmation of how God works in my life personally, despite the fact that I'm only one of seven billion people in this world, that God is able to, by the power of his Holy Spirit, speak to me personally, interact with me purposefully, and guide my life in such a way that I'm fulfilling a plan that he intends me to fulfill all along. That although David's the one who writes this psalm, and we look at his picture and go, my goodness, he started off taking out Goliath. And then he moved from there. Became a king. It was absolutely incredible. But he went through some incredibly difficult times and chose at times not to listen to God's voice. Not in times of difficulty. It seems like he always listens in those times of extremities. But he fails to listen in those personal times where God is trying desperately to let him be quiet before him. And so he finds himself successful as a king, but a failure as a father. And how sad that becomes in each of our lives in the same way. So he writes this psalm reminding us of how we are to respond to God in difficult times. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me. In he leads me in green pastures to quiet places, desiring to give me guidance and understanding. See, the psalm is about learning to trust God specifically in everyday life and watching him interact in us. Today, our focus on the calling of Eric and how God called him to himself, that conversion process, And then secondly, how did he call him to become a pastor? Some of you have heard my story of God's calling to me. And it's great stuff. But right now, why don't we hear what Eric has to say? Is that okay with you? I want him to tell us what his conversion was like and about his calling. So he's going to come up right now, and he's going to share that. So let me give him a mic. He's not familiar with mics or anything, but somehow he'll figure it out. Come on up here, buddy. Come on.
1: Would you prefer I stood down here? Right, yeah. See, I die.
0: Oh, the Lord will speak powerfully to him soon. Thank oh, you, he Father. He already does. I'm going to step down okay. and let you share a little bit. All right.
1: I like to start out by digging a hole and then trying to dig my way out of it the rest of the time. So I was raised over in West Side Costa Mesa, about five miles from here, in a, in a very stable, very loving Christian household. My, my father is and was a very respected man, um, family law attorney here in Costa Mesa. My mom was a very active aerobics instructor slash full-time mom who uh, was a peer and, and a spiritual mentor to me. I first prayed... A prayer. Having grown up in a Christian home, I I was lucky to be presented with the gospel very early on. And although it kind of sounds laughable, I prayed the sinner's prayer and accepted Jesus Christ into my heart during a thunderstorm in our guest bedroom when I was three years old. Had no idea um, what that meant, but I just, you know, my mom and my dad have chosen to give their lives to him. And he is the one who created all of this. As a three-year-old, awed into that. I said, I, give, I want Jesus in my heart. Of course, I had very little uh, understanding of what that really meant. And over the, the following decades, um, God would continue to invite me into a deeper, closer, more intimate understanding of what that really means for him to be my shepherd. Um, I was very, very lucky to grow up in a church much like this church. And Kathy and I actually desire to find a church for ourselves that um, was like the one I grew up in a church where I had lots of moms and dads that weren't blood related lots of brothers and sisters that I had just grown up with I considered family some of them are actually here this morning people that I consider to be my family that I guess we do share the blood of Christ so in that sense we're blood related but beyond that they are just people who have fingerprints all over my life and I wanted to to say thank you you guys for your investment in my life and, and for loving on me and for uh, putting up with my impulsive immaturity. Um, and that's even just right now. Um, yeah. And for my father who has always been my my Superman. The man that I wanted to be like. In fact, so much so that when I went to college, I chose to uh, go become a, a pre law major because I was going to follow my father into the family business um, and then and and my mom, who was not only a, a spiritual mentor um, and leader in my life but also my confidant, one of my closest friends growing up, I was an overweight, kind of socially awkward introvert, if you can believe that um, and my mom was one of those people that I could really just be real with and, and lean on. And when I went to college, as I was saying, I, I chose to be a pre-law major because I was going to follow my father into the family business. And then, sophomore year, I decided I was actually going to go work for him at the law office, and I very quickly realized, this is not what God has designed me for. Um... It was, it was a very, very difficult time for me because I don't know if any of you guys have done this, but when you set your mind on, this is what I'm going to become. I am, a, I am a future attorney, just like my dad. And then all of a sudden you begin to have inklings that perhaps that's not God's plan for me. It begins to be a little unsettling. You have that crisis of, of belief, who am I and all that kind of stuff. So it was safer for me to tell it to other people. Maybe I'm not going to be an attorney, I don't know. But I had never fully admitted it to myself. At the time, I was the first—I was a sophomore. It was the first year I was living out from under my parents' roof. I, I actually moved into my fraternity house while I was pledging the fraternity, which was an interesting experience. It was at UCI, so it wasn't a wild school. Um, but I had chosen to to dive in there because I wanted that fraternity to be my mission field. I was a Christ follower. I wanted to be an example of Christ to those guys and yet I didn't see a lot of fruit over the course of that year it was more just them trying to say are your convictions for real seriously and they would push and push and push I'm like here's who I am and what I appreciated about them is that they did not reject me because I was who I was but they were certainly testing that about two thirds of the way through that year I went to a a men's retreat over on Catalina Island with many of the people, uh, many of the guys here uh, from my old church And it was at that retreat where I, for the first time, admitted to myself that God had not designed me or called me to be an attorney like my father. I'd said it to other people. I'd never admitted it to myself. And in that moment, it was as if the core of my identity disappeared and who I understood myself to be began to crumble. And it was tremendously scary and at the same time, tremendously liberating because I no longer had to try to prop up this belief that I had begun to question. And it was, it was as if for the first time in a long time I could rest in my shepherd's embrace rather than trying to be who I thought I had to be. Rather than trying to earn my identity, I could just rest in who I was. a Son of God, loved by Him, And I had no idea what my future held, but He held my future, and in that I could rest. And it was like I just—it was a very emotional evening for me. It was a Saturday night. I remember it very, very vividly. And I was in a corner of this room that we were worshiping in, and I was weeping. And the Holy Spirit came over me in a really powerful way. It was the first time I had ever spoken in tongues. I just—I just felt full of the Holy Spirit, and I just couldn't contain it. And then um, my commander, Glenn, a man who had been another parent, another mentor to me, somebody who had walked with me, much like Danielle has walked with a lot of our children. Egypt has walked with a lot of our children. He was praying over me in that moment. And I don't even know, Glenn, if you remember saying this, but I do. As you're praying, you go, Eric, you know what? I could see you being a teacher or a pastor and I, in, to myself, I wasn't about to say this out loud, but to myself, I just went, "I'm not interested in either of those career paths." <laughs> and yet, I remembered that. And it, today, looking back, it seems prophetic, because th- that is precisely where God has ultimately led me. But it wasn't right away. I, I came back from that men's retreat free from the, the weight of, of this backpack of expectations I'd placed upon myself that I have to somehow live up to becoming just like my dad or or following in his footsteps, and that I was free to begin to go, okay, God, lead me, guide me. I, Oftentimes when it feels like you know where you think you have to go, it, it's hard not to, in our own strength, try to get there as quickly as possible so we can say, look what I've done. And it felt like, God was just saying, hey, trust me, you're in the midst of a deep, deep fog bank. You can't see before you. It's hard enough to see where you've come. So hold on to my hand because I can see above this and I know where we're headed. So just trust me for this step and follow me step by step. And so I did. I went back to my fraternity house and it was as if God flipped a spiritual switch because Up to this point, I'd been trying to minister to my fraternity brothers, but it had been very little fruit. And then all of a sudden, i come back, and it was as if he said, said, okay, now that you've submitted to me, now I'm going to allow you to begin to minister to these guys. And the day that I got back, one of my fraternity brothers came into my room and just wanted to process because he had broken up with his girlfriend, and he was just despondent. And then another guy the next day, and a couple guys, they just started coming out of the woodwork, and it became truly a mission field for me. And over the course of the next three years, I got to see several of my fraternity brothers come to Christ. I got to just be, hopefully, a positive example of Jesus Christ to those guys for that season. And I graduated, and I figured, okay, now what? And so I I ended up starting a promotional products company and very quickly realized that God had not designed me to be a salesman. Then I did PR for the surfing industry. I'd been a lifeguard for 10 years. So what greater, you know, job to have than to get to write about surf contests. In order to write about them, I have to go to them, right? So I get to spend my days at the beach and then I get to come home and I get to write about them and send them off to newspapers. It was fun. And yet there was a part of me that was just going, is this all there is? I was young. And at the time, I didn't recognize that God can use me in ministry, even if I don't have a, even if I'm in a secular job. And I was just kind of wrestling with what, what, what have I been designed for? God, what are you calling me to do? And I was taking this very, very seriously. And I was watching these guys at these surf contests who were doing what they loved to do, regardless of whether or not they were paid for it. If they're in the midst of the surf contest, they'll go out and surf. But if they don't win, whatever. They move down the beach, they they paddle back out, and they surf some more with nobody watching because they were doing what they loved. And I decided then and there, that's what I want to do. Not surf. But I want to find what I love to do. Find what brings me excitement and joy. The thing that gets me out of bed in the morning, I want to find that and I want to do that. And so I began to look at how I was spending my time, where I was investing my life, the free time, right? The stuff that wasn't being used with work and all of my other responsibilities. What was I doing with the rest of the time? And I found that I was spending an inordinate amount of time hanging with other people, both asking people to pour into me and invest in me and help me to grow, as well as walking with them and processing life with them and going, what, have, what is God calling you to do? I loved to go out to lunch. Three, four meals a a week were spent sitting down with somebody and just processing life with them. And I realized that's what I want to do. Around that time, there was a book called The Path, written by a woman named Lori Beth Jones. The whole purpose of that book is to write a personal mission statement for your life. And so I, I worked through that, and ultimately my mission statement that became the lens through which I looked at everything else I could possibly do was this. I feel like God has called me to inspire, encourage, and equip those who are really hungry for maturity, meaning the ones who want to grow. Inspire, encourage, and equip them to pursue a more transformational relationship with Jesus and to use the giftings he has given them to do what he has called them to do. So then I began to wrestle with, okay, well, what does that mean? How do I do that? How can I make this a reality? And at first I thought, well, I can go teach. Teach because I can then be in proximity to students and I can be able to walk with them and process life with them and so I started looking into all of these schools to get my teaching credential and everywhere I looked it was going to take a minimum of two years before I'd see the inside of a classroom that for a 22 year old kid seemed like an eternity that's like almost a tenth of my life and so I balked at that too long And while I was in the midst of that process, I was over at Vanguard looking at their education department, and I realized, wait a minute, if I want to walk with other people and help them process what they believe, why they believe it, I should probably do that for myself so that I'm not taking my parents' or my pastor's word for it. (laughs) And on a whim, perhaps, I I signed up for Vanguard's uh, Master's in Theology, to get the tools that I needed to answer my own questions so that I could own my faith and also have the tools to be able to process with other people. And so that began about a four-year journey as I was working on that, asking deep questions. God did some remarkable work in my own relationship with him. Because hitherto it had been like my, my, my relationship with him was a house of cards that I had built from things that my parents had given me and my pastors had given me, my expectations. I thought that the Bible had just, I I didn't ever think about this, but it was just like the expectation was the Bible is perfect. It just fell from heaven, bound in this like faux leather um, with, you know, the red lettering for where Jesus spoke and all that kind of stuff. I'd never considered the fact that there was a historical context in all of this. And so when when I began to really dig past the surface of my faith, there was a crisis of belief. It was, as if, it was as if my theological professors took a sledgehammer to the house of cards that were all of my expectations that I'd gathered throughout the first 22 years of my walk with Jesus. And all of a sudden, there was my worldview sitting in rubble. It was about a week later that the Twin Towers fell. That same week when the pastor at the church that I was attending uh, fell and stepped down because of infidelity my world was rocked and in a lot of ways I felt kind of like walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you can go one of two ways when you you hit one of those seasons you can run away and say I'm done too many questions or you can lean in you can do what Descartes did you know I'm going to doubt everything and I'm going to start over what do I know Well, I think, therefore I am, was his conclusion. For me, it was this. I have faith that God exists. And that Jesus Christ is his son. And I I could point back to so many things in my life that I'd seen. Ways that God had provided for my family. Ways that God had shepherded me. But for me, that was the foundation. My faith in God. And from there, I began to build my own Understanding of God, my, my own relationship not borrowed from my parents not least but from my pastor it was mine and it was a scary process but one that honestly was, I'm grateful to be where I am today and I, and I credit it in part to that and in also in part to the men and women that God brought along my path to walk with me, I'm probably going way over here but whatever, you're used to that I credit in a large part to the men and women that God used to walk with me through that. People like my family from Newport Mesa, my accountability partners like Brian, Josh, Jeff, and Bob. People that he used to shepherd me through that season. And so I, I have fallen in love with with people, God breaks my heart for people as a kid who was overweight. I find myself often drawn to those people who kind of feel pushed to the side. <laughs> it was funny, and this is probably completely um, inappropriate to say in church, but the other day Mike uh, Jones was in my office kind of sharing something i'm sorry Mike I got And he goes, after kind of processing something, he goes, man, Eric, you you were like an outhouse that people just kind of dump on. (laughs) And I thought about that for a second. I go, you know what? I really like being that outhouse. (laughs) And in fact, I married a woman who really likes being that person that people come and bring their stuff. So... I recognize that God has not designed me to be a salesman, to be an attorney, all these things, but I will tell you this, I love people and I love getting my hands dirty. I love joining in people's lives and I love walking with them regardless. And so I love getting to be up in front and opening his word and getting to to pull from it and go, "Look, look at how this ministers to us, look at what this shows us about our Father in heaven. Because at the end of the day, as I said last week when I was speaking, Although I may be a shepherd, although God may have designed me to be that, I'm still fallible. I will still make mistakes. I will still let people down. And it is not my job or even my ability to save a single person, although I so desperately want to. However, it is my job to continually point people to our true shepherd. Because he alone does not let us down. He alone knows what we need. And he alone can actually satisfy the deepest yearnings of our heart. So I love getting to be a shepherd. But I am first and foremost a sheep in the hands of my shepherd. And a lot of times, and I'll probably share a little bit about this next week, when we talk about the next part of this, there are times where God has to make me lie down. Make me lie down. And rest in him. Because a lot of times I try to do it on my own strength. And there have been seasons where he has had to specifically restore my soul. But in the midst of that, it gives me more compassion for other people who are walking through the same thing. And I'm just like, God, thank you so much for letting me get to walk with your kids. And although I'm a sheep, getting also to walk alongside and shepherd other people by your strength and for your name's sake, not mine. So, there you go.
0: He makes me lie down. When God calls us to a particular place, He makes us lie down. It's green pastures, but it's not green pastures in the sense that we often think of it as. What He's talking about is it's places in which we gain true nourishment. It's places in which we are built up to do what it is that we need to do, he makes me lie down. He—the word here isn't so much make as it is a stimulate. So in some translation, it'll say that he lets me lie down. It's a picture of, as someone said, you—you you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But you can give them salt. And they'll drink a whole lot after that. It's that picture where God says, Okay, I'm going to bring you to the place that you need to be at and learn the things you need to learn so that you can be what it is you need to be. It may start off with a Goliath that we stand before and say, In the name of my God, I declare to you, you're done. It's over. Start saying your prayers. Because God has said, your time is finished. And they look at you and say, you're a runt. What are you talking about? Who told you such a dumb thing as that? And then they get hit in the head with a rock. And you know the story after that. You see, it's times when God leads us to lie down in green pastures, but it's not the lying down that we often think of. It's a training time. It's a learning time. It's when we begin to recognize that blessings in this life are often, in actuality, times of pain, and times of question, and times of irritation. Those are the blessings in our life. Those are the green pastures in our life, not the times of ease and contentment and great barbecue like we're going to have today when we get done. But it's the times in which God brings us to understanding. And it's in my pain that I cry out, God, help me. God, speak to me. And he does. It's in those times of pressure and struggle that life becomes meaningful. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Those places of growth that he has set aside for me. It's green pastures that he has put together for me. Intentionally. Called me to that place, to that university, to that special dorm, to that situation. Finally, to that place of understanding. Green pastures. Because, you see, he starts with green pastures, but then he leads us to the next place. But before we talk about that, I want to hear a little bit more from those have been involved in Eric's life. So I'm going to ask Mr. Wayman to come up and share a little bit. Mr. Wayman, yes, that's what we always say, that's my dad. When they say, Mr. Harrison, I know it's my dad. When I turn to Eric and I say, Mr. Wayman, he says, that's my dad, Lee, that's not me. So let's hear a little bit from dad about conversion and call or how God has affirmed through him. Whatever the Lord so I to have about. to get
2: equal time because I went to college to be a minister.
0: Ah,
2: And I recall years later having the uh, president of the college that I was at asked me to speak to a group of college presidents and uh, ministers. And I said I'd rather put on a five-day criminal trial any day than try to speak to a group like that for 30 minutes. So, Eric, I think you chose the harder way. But Pastor Lee asked me to share something about the process that Eric's going through and the council that was formed. And I think you've just gotten a touch of what I was going to share. I watched Eric grow up with his intensity and his passion. But I I, I realize now that I only saw the big moments, the highlights. But when we went through several hours in the council, and he shared shared his theological development, his personal development, his family commitments, all the things that go into making him up as a person that he is, that I got to see behind the scenes what was going on in his heart, what was going on in his daily life. And that was a real gift, and I appreciate the fact that you gave me that gift to, to see the whole p- behind-the-scenes picture. So thank you.
0: Ah, thanks, Ken. Thanks, Ken. I'm going to ask Rich Rapoli to come up. Rich was a part of that ordination council and has been with Eric since he's been here. Rich has been a, a mentor in my life, someone who's been around as we've gone through some difficult times here. We've gone through ups and downs, huh, brother? We're like, okay, what's next? He's laid hands on me while I was crying and saying, I don't want to be here anymore. I want out of here. And he's saying... Lord, don't let him go. I was going, I want to go. I've had it. I just don't got the gumption. And uh, the Lord pulled us back together and kept us going. And so then he brought in Eric and gave him a whole new guy to have to work on. <laughs> so Rich was part of that ordination council. He was, he's been involved in Eric's life all this time. listened to him, scolded him, encouraged him done whatever is necessary as one of the prime leaders here at our church so let's hear what he has to say
3: well thank you lee yes. and just because we had eric in a fetal position when we were done means nothing <laughs> <laughs> well you know I, I think eric's dad uh he said it all and uh, for me uh listening to eric when he when he went over his fa- uh, statement of faith and then he just talked to us about his heart uh, a number of things jumped out at me first of all this was Kind of the natural progression, you know, for him, in my opinion. A couple things jumped out. What a great job his mom and dad did at raising this young man. Mm. Because he is is an absolute treasure to our church. And when he first came here, I kind of looked at him and thought, man, what a young guy. How's he going to work out? But i got to tell you, uh, he is absolutely phenomenal. God certainly blessed this church by bringing Eric and Kathy and his two boys uh, into our life. When I listened to his his statement of faith, and we talked to him about what he believed um, in with respect to the Lord and his values, uh, like I said, it was just a progression uh, of what God has in mind for him. You know, the ordination you can look at in a number of ways. Is that important? Uh, maybe and people will have different different opinions on that but the bottom line is god has chosen this man to be a pastor mm. which is an, extremely important he's a shepherd and for those of you who have been around here for two days would know what type of heart he has for people yes. god has truly blessed him with that gift and so it's an honor for me to call you pastor and to have you here at our church thank you
0: Thanks, Rich. Hey, Byron, why don't I come in? Now, Byron is someone who has been a little newer in this relationship of leadership within the church structure. But interestingly enough, Eric latched onto him like nobody I've ever seen. He has grabbed a hold of Byron, and Byron grabbed a hold of him and has began to pour his life into him over the last few years, so he was part of that process and enjoyed greatly. So let's listen to what the Lord has told him to share with us. Thank you,
4: Lee. <laughs> yeah, it was a honor and thankful to be involved in that council that day. <clears throat> the next thing, Rich brought up a lot of good things. Eric's honesty, his heart, his faith statement, the way he answered the answers, the answered the questions uh, with maturity and they're astute and just from the heart. And I think that. Eric also realized there's so much more he wants to know what God has in store for him. So, but, uh, I'm just thankful. Just uh, we've been blessed to have you here. You are a shepherd. You're a teacher. The messages that you teach are just awesome. Um, you're an awesome prayer warrior. You just have that gift for prayer, a gift to communicate, and a leader. So, we just uh, very thankful, Eric. So, God bless you and your family. You're a father, a husband, a man of God. More importantly, so God bless you.
0: Thanks, fine) Ah, you win some, you lose some, right? He makes me lie down. Boy, that one fits for Eric, isn't it? If you don't make him, he's not gonna do it. <laughs> one of the most interesting things to me about Eric was that. He has a calling, and he talks to you regularly about the need to be still and know that God is. He has instituted an area of ministry here that we call the spiritual disciplines, where we have a seek week, and for an entire week, we have this quiet time and focus upon God's presence and his power and his movement in our lives. Be still. Eric is never still. (laughs) And yet that is the calling that God has placed so strong in his life. Learn to be still. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. You see... What David is trying to speak to us here is that he's saying that when God leads me, he leads me to a place of understanding. After he's made me lie down for a period of time and he's began to work in me, then he opens up my eyes and he leads me to understanding and comprehension. He leads me to these quiet places. I find myself down at the beach early in the morning as the waves come in and I see the immensity of his creation and God speaks in that quietness and he guides and he encourages and he helps me to understand he brings us to those places where we're so thirsty and he quenches the thirst of my soul that's so much greater than the thirst of my body it's a thirst that says who are you how do you work What do you ask of me? And how is that to happen? He leads me beside quiet waters. And I listen. And I learn. And I begin to look back at those times in those pastures that seem anything but green and I recognize that it was in the times of brokenness that God reset and turned me into the person that I needed to become. So it no longer continued to be the cripple that I was. He leads me beside quiet waters. It's like the woman at the well. Woman, I'll give you water that when you drink of this, you'll never thirst again. What? Huh? Oh, out of you will flow springs of living water. It won't just fill you. You'll have words and understanding to give to others that will cause them to experience life as well, to be brought out of darkness and coldness and a place of light and warmth and understanding and love and hope and faith. He leads me beside quiet waters. That's the calling of a pastor and our time keeps getting short on us. I want to call up somebody else here. I'm going to ask Marge to come up right now. Marge has been with Eric for a long time. And so when I asked her, I said, Would you like to share a little bit about how Eric has progressed in his walk? And responded to him. She said, Oh, yeah. <laughs> give me the mic. So I'm going to give it to her and let her share a little bit with us long day.
5: I will never forget uh, a little over five years ago when Pastor Lee came down to the preschool office I was sitting at the computer, which is a very rare thing, so it was in the summer, and he says, Marge, do you know Eric Wayman? And in my very quiet way, I I about, I about came off the chair. I said, do I know Eric Wayman? Absolutely. And he said, well, we're looking at him to come on over and maybe be an associate um, pastor. So with all the enthusiasm that I, I'm probably the only one that exudes it besides Eric, I said, it would be such an honor, such an honor to minister with Eric Wayman down here. And so, ever since those years of cheering for him at the Estancia water polo team, because my nephews all played with him at Estancia, uh, Eric is like a son. And being part of Eric's uh, younger years and then growing up has just been such an honor. And Eric is a true shepherd. This couldn't be more um, of a perfect time to be studying our book uh, here for our Bible studies. He has the heart of a servant. And I see the picture of our beginning um, week of my teachers this year. Eric came down and took the time for every single teacher, aide, and everyone on my staff. And he anointed our thumb, our um, forehead, our ear, and our foot smelly old feet and, and just he took the time to pray over each and every one of us at the beginning of the school year he has um, he's tender he's compassionate he's sensitive and sincere he he knows he, he can read me like a book and I know many of you too anytime he sees me he says can you come on over to my office and talk and sometimes I don't want to talk but he looks at you with those big blue eyes and you know you better, you better lay it out or he'll come and find you anyway so Eric sees the best in others. He's a joy bringer and an encourager. I can't tell you the times we've laughed together, and I I won't go into detail about our recent um, Stranger Danger buttons and how willing he was to come and bring joy to the children. (laughs) And uh, I had my SWAT team member to answer to there. He's also very, very strong. Um, I know Victoria, if you're here, came running down a couple years ago with the big tree here. And we had to move it. Well, Eric was all over it with my husband Nassim. Right. It fell on my husband Nassim. And all Victoria saw were two little feet (laughs) flailing. (laughs) And Eric was trying to lift this big heavy tree. He said, I almost killed your husband today. So he's strong. Strong as an ox. Um, But he's also very faithful in his call in tending the sheep. Um, he challenges the sheep to grow by example Eric is a seeker of Christ who strives for excellence and and I just I love that about you Eric he's confident he's courageous he's very uh, protective and a defender we had an incident on Friday over at Byron's house and it was kind of an interesting situation and I could hear some yelling over there and I I knew what it was pretty much but Eric was unloading and I said Eric get over there so he's hangs up onto his pants because they were weighed down with his keys and ran over there to protect Diane and Byron's house. Turned out to be a, a fine situation, but what a protector and a defender. So we always feel very safe here at the preschool having Eric around. Um, the thing that's touched my heart the most is he's a committed and loving husband and father, and I've had the privilege of, of witnessing that at a very close um, proximity because I've had both of his boys. I still have the one. And to see Eric come and pick up his boys, he used to bring down the um, the skateboard for Ethan and they'd get out there and he'd get the whole gang out there. Of course, Eric would never do that. And they're skateboarding in the parking lot when cars are coming in. So, yeah, you know. <laughs> you know Eric. So, um, but the other thing I love about Eric is he's quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I've watched you mature over the last five years in such a an amazing way that I know it's God and he's one who walks in truth love integrity of heart and his name is known in Costa Mason I'm just uh, everywhere I go people know Eric Wayman and it's such a blessing and of course I attribute that so much to mom and dad too So, um, but Eric as you take on this Pastor Eric role um, look to the good shepherd to shepherd you because we do go through those times, as Pastor Lee's been talking about, and the scriptures I'd like to leave you with are, "May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed." Psalm 20 verse 4. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. Psalm 78,72. and that's you, Eric. I love you.
0: I'm going to ask uh, all the members of the Ordination Council to come up. Uh, I want you all to come up here up to the top, please. We're going to lay hands on Eric here. And he gets to be right in the front here where I'm taller than he is. It's going to be a wonderful experience. (laughs) You guys all come up here. I have a few men who are going to share. Closing up here with Tim and his father, Mr. Bundy. Come on up here, Eric. Yeah, you get to stand right here. Right there. Tim, hold on to that for me. Will you? you know, a couple of things I want to ask Eric before we finish up here. We've talked about his calling and we've affirmed it as a council. I've affirmed it as a pastor. I've been with him now uh, over five years and been uh, excited to see his growth and his development and continue to understand your calling. So it's been, it's been great. You can be patient with me at times responded so well. So I look forward to a few more years ahead before you get to be the lead guy and I'm just leaving. Out the door. Down the hill. Across the trees. Yeah.
1: I could take you out with a Christmas
0: tree. Yeah, I know you could. Take me out with a Christmas tree. Here we go. Hey, a few simple words. Eric, I know you do, but you need to share this for the congregation. Do you accept... The Bible is God's inspired, inerrant, indestructible, and indispensable word. Do. That's great. I hope you understand the requirements and the responsibilities, the realities that are about to be placed upon you. You see, I use the term, and we're, we're kind of back and forth, as pastor, and oh, I'm just Eric, and I'll say that to people, and I'll say, I'm just Lee. But the reality is, when someone chooses me to be their pastor, and they call me Pastor Lee, there's a recognition there. And I appreciate that. But it's their decision, not mine. So from this point on, I'm going to call you Pastor Eric, uh, just so you know that. I remember um, Egypt, and I told him, you call me Lee, and he said, I will never call you Lee. (laughs) I was like, Egypt? And he said, oh, no, you're my pastor, and I will always call you Pastor Lee. He said, unless we're alone, then I'll call you a number of things. (laughs) Are you ready to take on those responsibilities, both for the church and for the community? If you're ready to do that, then say, yeah, I am. Okay. I guess the last thing I'd say is, well, are you willing to give of yourself sacrificially without reserve to the inspiration and education and equipping of the body of Christ and committing yourself to a diligent study of God's word so that when you teach them, you teach them God's truth, not your own thoughts. If you are, say, I am. Gladly. I like that. So recognizing the frailty of who you are and how you think. And recognizing that you are simply inadequate to accomplish the task that God has set before you. You will be totally dependent, and I know you are, on the direction and the support and the illumination and the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through you. And if you're willing to submit to him fully, then say, boy, I am. I am. Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit. You got it. So with that thought in mind, we're going to lay hands on you now and ask God specifically uh, to anoint you. But the last few words, Tim and his dad, I want to say the last couple words, and then we're going to pray over you. Tim,
6: last thoughts. A lot has been said. And I think everybody that has spoken before has made it very clear, the background that you had, Eric, the uh, upbringing. The choices that you've made, your personality, your physical being, the sense of humor that God has is amazing. Who he chooses constantly amazes me. Well, both. There's both there. But to see how in the last five years that I've gotten to know you, Eric, how God has taken the unique aspects of who you are. There's nobody like you. And we're glad. God has got his hand and his fingerprints on you in a way that are going to allow you to provide just an amazing input into people's lives. And you already have. I no longer cringe when you pick up one of my boys and throw them in the air (laughs) because I know you're going to catch them. Um, It's just been a joy to get to know you and to see what God's got in store is going to be amazing. You're articulate your knowledge of the word, your desire to continue to grow, your um, ability to remain accountable to other men in your life that started early with your your buddies in college is something that is huge. And to see you desiring to do that is, uh, again, a clear picture of the shepherd that you need to be. I'm excited and I'll be happy to call you pastor as well.
7: You know, as we read and study the Scriptures all the way through from the beginning, we find God calling people. Noah, Abraham, David, even Jesus, when he called his disciples, he said, i got to form a team. Calling from God is probably the most significant and important thing that will ever happen in anyone's life. And when God calls us to be a part of him, part of his body, Everyone who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is called. And in 2 Corinthians, Jesus said to all those who are followers, he said, you are my ambassador. You are going to represent me out there in the marketplace, in the schools, in the workplace. So in a sense, really, every one of us in here who knows Jesus Christ as Savior, we're called, called to be his representative where God put us. But there's something very, very special about God calling for someone to be a preacher, a teacher, to be a pastor to the flock. That's like being called to be the caller over the called in many ways. And that's an exciting thing to see how God does that. And I think all of us who know known you, I don't know you real well. Uh, I come down here to the church with you every once in a while check on this guy, make sure he's behaving himself, but got to know Eric while I'm here too. And I know that I've heard your heart, and I know that your passion is there. And it takes a process of finding what it is that God really wants you to do, just like your dad, you know. He thought maybe ministry, and the guy said, no, I want you as a legal beagle out there in that marketplace. So he's called just like you are, and like everyone else is called. This is a tough role today's society does not really believe and accept an awful lot of what you do and what you want to teach. And that's the challenge for us today. Barnes says in his studies about church status, there's even a whole lot of people in the church who don't really have a biblical view. That's the challenge of a called pastor, is it not? Take the scripture as the basis, the foundation for whatever you teach, but more than that, what you live. Because our lives are often a better teacher than ever what we say. We pray God's blessing on you. And just as Paul played the blessing on Timothy, his spiritual son, Paul told him, he said, go preach, go teach, and live it. And God will take care of the results. What an opportunity that is. Thank you. sir. So give that over here to Rich.
0: I'm going to have each one of us pray a short prayer over and ask the Holy Spirit's anointing upon Eric's life and his calling. You all need to pray with us, affirming the words that are shared, but more than that, affirming the intention and asking the Holy Spirit to do what needs to be actually done, not just what we say. Father, this day we bring you Eric. You have set him aside for ministry. You've called him to be a shepherd and a pastor. And because of that, we ask right now that you would anoint him powerfully with your Holy Spirit, with an understanding that presently is beyond his comprehension, that you would give him the ability to grasp your truth and to share that with others in such a way that they hear your voice. That's my prayer, Lord, that I place upon him now.
3: Lord, I just ask your Holy Spirit is upon Eric, Lord, and it's upon him all the days of his life. I pray, Lord, that you just give him the right words, the things that you want him to say and do. Lord, just comes freely from his mouth through his actions. Lord, I pray that he is always committed to you, Lord, to the day he dies. I just
4: ask you this in your Son's name. Amen. And Lord, we just uh, ask. Protection for Eric and his continued growth, Father, in his spirit he has that thirst for knowledge to go deeper with his relationship with you, Father, and to find out what more you have in store for him and his works, Father. So we lift up Eric that he will continue to do the good works and not grow weary in his time of uh, growth and uh, spiritual well-being, Lord. So just uh, we bless the congregation, we bless Eric and his family, and we just thank you for, she- for the shepherd that you provide us for.
2: Lord, we do ask particularly for his role as a father and a husband. We just pray for Kathy and for Grayson and for Ethan. Just bless and multiply blessings to them as a family and give them every good and perfect thing in your name.
7: Father, we pray that you would be with Eric and Kathy and their family. Guide their steps when they're beside the still waters. And we're in the middle of raging waters because there are those. Be his guide and his director and his strength and help him first to become who you want him to be and then through that to help others become who you want them to be. What a privilege in Jesus' name.
6: Father, we uh, put Eric in your hands firmly from our perspective. You've had him for years ever since he was a young man, and we are excited to see what you have in store for him and through him, for his family, uh, for all the various roles that he is taking on at this point. Lord, we pray more than anything that he would trust in you and lean not on his own understanding, that he would anticipate what it is that you have in store, that you would guide his hands and direct his steps, Father. Look forward to what you have in store for, for Eric and for this church, Father. Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. We all stand, please. Last words I would have to give to you is to charge you as a congregation to recognize Eric's calling. Although we as leaders have set him aside and said, This man has been clearly called by God. You as a church are the final statement. It's that odd thing in which sheep get to choose their shepherd. Or as Jesus said, My sheep know my voice. If you know Eric's voice, if you recognize him as your shepherd, then you need to say so. You need to obey the leaders that God has placed over you and submit to them. The reason is they're giving watch. They're keeping watch over your very soul as they pray for you, as they agonize over your struggles and your difficulties. And Eric does just that. As he struggles with your struggles, recognize that he only does this because he's your pastor. He only does this because it's God's calling in his life. And there will be times when you are going to disagree with the decisions that he makes. I have. There will be times when you go, Eric, that is one of the stupidest things. And when that takes place, your responsibility is to do it anyway (laughs) and to love him and to care for him and respect him and say, I wonder how God is going to turn this stupid decision (laughs) into something that was incredibly intellectually brilliant. And I guarantee you this, it will happen. It will happen. And you'll go, what? He is called by God to be your shepherd. And when he makes mistakes, God steps in and says, watch this. Or as he puts it, I love that statement, our shepherd suddenly shows off. God shows up and he shows off. And he says, oh, that's easy. Watch. He is keeping watch over you. Praying that your soul might be responsive to God's directive. Honor him. Recognize it. Lift him up in prayer. Ask God to continue to give him insight. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God and consider the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. We are so fortunate as the body of Christ in this church to be a part of Eric's calling and to be able to receive from him as God works through him. This is an outstanding young man. And so I call to you and say do you promise church To fulfill your obligation and duty by supporting this man and his family as he serves this church and this community. If you are willing to do that, say, lift your hands up and say, I will. I will. will. Father, we place him in your hands. We thank you for the food you provided. We thank you for taking care of us. We thank you for all you've done and will continue to do. And this day, we set aside this young man. And we declare him as our pastor. Let that be true as only you can. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.